From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, May 6th, 2022, and it is a pleasure to be here with you to study Torah as we prepare for the holy day of Shabbos. All right, so I am going to get the Torah reading ready, and I actually have the tab open here. Let me get to the right spot. All right, reading number six. So today we're going to do reading six, seven, and maybe the Haftorah. I don't know. No promises. We'll see. We'll see how quickly we can uh, we can get through everything. All right, hold on. We got Ray back. Ah, oh, hold on. Let's, let's wait till she connects with the audio. Perfect. Ray, we got you back again. <laughs> Love it. Listen, whenever you need to get back on, just just come back in. We got you covered. All right, we're going to jump right into the text, study, uh, study the Chumash. Again, this week is Kedoshim. We're closing it out today. Kedoshim, reading 6 and reading 7, maybe the Haftorah. We begin with Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 8. Here we go. And you shall observe my statutes and fulfill them. Statutes in the Hebrew are chukosai. Chukosai. Chukosai are those commandments that are called chukim. What are chukim? As we've discussed many times, those are laws of the Torah that are super rational, i.e. that don't have an obvious reason or meaning behind them. So there are some mitzvot that are obviously rational. They make a ton of sense. Like we get them. Some mitzvot we totally get. Do not kill, do not steal, makes a lot of sense. Create courts of justice, of judgment, totally reasonable. Don't mix wool and linen in, in a single garment. Now, now I don't know what's going on. Now I'm confused. The point is, it's a divine decree. It's a statute. It's a law. Hashem says, and we're supposed to follow. So here the Torah says, God says, you shall observe my statutes and fulfill them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And the implication is that there's a, there's a measure of sanctity, a measure of holiness that is bestowed upon us when we observe the chukim. And the reason for this is powerful, but it's also obvious. When a person surrenders to something greater than themselves, it moves them to a space that's outside of themselves. Instead of being locked into their own mind and their own rationale, they're able to, a person is able to surrender to a higher authority. So for example, if a person says, I'm only going to do a mitzvah when I understand it. I'm, I'm only going to do the mitzvot that I understand. So when I understand it, the ones that I understand, those I'm going to do. What's happening? A person, if you, if you really think about it, a person is essentially serving themselves or serving their own mind. Because a person, a person says, my mind understands the legitimacy of this mitzvah. I'll do it. My mind understands the need for this commandment. I'm going to do it. Great. So who are we serving? ourselves. We're doing the stuff that makes sense to us. 
So who's the higher authority? The brain. If a person is able to do a mitzvah that they don't understand, and the only reason why you're doing it is because of Hashem, so now who are you serving? Hashem. It's precisely in the spaces, in those mitzvot, that we don't understand, that we truly interface, we truly connect with Hashem, the giver of the mitzvah. Because in those, mitzvah, in those mitzvahs, it's not about us, it's about God. So if you want to connect with God, one way is to surrender and take on a mitzvah that is otherwise beyond your logic, beyond rationale itself. So, yes, Ray. Is meat and milk one of them? Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. I know there's been a lot of discussion about the significance and, and the meaning of meat and milk or not mixing them together, but ultimately, it's a chok. It's, yeah. So, in general, by the way, kashrut, not only meat and milk, but what makes an animal kosher? Shubit's cut and hasplot hose? Why? Um, you have to shechta with a knife, that, a slaughter with a knife that goes through the majority of the windpipe and the, and the, and, um, and the food pipe at the same... Why? All, kash, kosher, in general, would be in the category of chukim, a chok. So yeah, when we, when, we, when we eat kosher, what we're really saying is, I'm, let, I'm letting go and following God's diet. And that's why the Torah says, then you'll be holy. Right? God says, if you look at this opening verse again, um, you shall observe my statutes... Right, the ones that are above our understanding. And then it says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And the, and, this, and the implication is that I will sanctify you or you will become sanctified when you fulfill these specific types of mitzvot because these are the ones that bring you in close proximity to God. All right, here we go. Let's continue. For any man who curses his father or his mother, we move quickly through these... Uh, Different categories of mitzvahs. Any man who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon himself. In other words, can't do that. Let's continue number 10. And a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, committing adultery with the wife of his fellow, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And a man who lies, and we've, we talked about these forbidden relationships. We've segued, as you see now, the Torah has segued into forbidden relationships. We talked about them last week. The Torah says, don't do these, but we didn't get the punishment. We didn't get the punishment. So here we have the punishment. So um, adultery is theoretically, I don't know, I'm not saying in all cases or practically, but theoretically um, a capital, or it's, it's a capital level crime. And a man who lies with his father's wife, a stepmom has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon themselves. And a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed depravity. Their blood is upon themselves. And a man who lies with a male as one with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon themselves. And a man who takes a woman and her mother, it is evil counsel. They shall burn him and them in fire. And there shall be no evil counsel in your midst. And a man who lies with an animal, shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. And a woman who comes close to any animal, so that it will mate with her, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon themselves. And a man who takes his sister, whether his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgraceful act, and they shall be cut off before the eyes of the members of their people. 
he uncovered his sister's nakedness, he shall bear his sin. And a man who lies with a woman who has a flow, and he uncovers her nakedness, he has bared her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from, from the midst of their people. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or your father's sister, for he would be bearing his close relative, they shall bear their sin. And a man who lies with his aunt, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness, they shall bear their transgression, they shall die childless. And a man who takes his brother's wife, it is a repulsive act. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness, they shall be childless. And you shall observe all my statutes. Here the Torah kind of concludes this little list. You shall observe all my statutes and my ordinances. Statutes are the ones that are super rational. Ordinances are the ones that make sense. Because certainly we can relate to a lot of the, uh, the items in this list, perhaps, um, and fulfill them. Then the Lord to which I am bringing you to dwell therein will not... Sorry, then the land to which I am bringing you to dwell therein will not vomit you out. In other words, if you want to stay in Israel, if you want to stay securely in the land, then it's a good practice not to violate any of these prohibitions. I mentioned before that a lot, many, if not all, of these prohibitions were mentioned last week's Torah portion. And here, the various consequences are laid out. Right. Yes. So it says, um, if you do any of these things, you shall be put to death. Is that here on earth or in heaven or not in heaven? So, excellent question. Um, the understanding in, for many of them that we discussed today, they were by the hands of the court. Now again, I mean, not again because I didn't say it before, but these are th- I'm just moving around to close the door. These are, these are um, courts that we don't have today. We don't have a Sanhedrin. We don't have a high Jewish court. Sanhedrin was made up of individuals that had smicha, an unbroken um, ordination going back to Moses, and we just don't have that today. We, we don't have that smicha. Yeah, rabbis have smicha. It's a different type of smicha. We don't have a Sanhedrin. We can't apply capital punishment. And we, even back then, as, as you know, as, as I know you know, the Talmud says that if a court puts someone to death, you know, uh, once or twice, whatever, in 70 years, it was a bloody court. It was a court that was um, callous and careless with people's lives. So to apply the capital, to apply, apply capital punishment was extremely rare. But the Torah here is telling us, you know, the severity of the various indiscretions. And it's, it's highlighting the fact that, um, at least theoretically, it's a, it, there are things that are capital crimes. Now, some Does of them... Do people do anything about it to make it better? I mean... Anyone that's done any of those things that might not have known about it, can they make it? Yeah, tshuva, yeah, you could always do tshuva. You could always, um, yeah, you could always um, do tshuva and, and, and repent is like the English word, but, um, you know, turn around and, and, and get to a better place for sure. There's always, there's al- there's always a, a way back. Um, the question is, your question was, are these, are these consequences... With a physical court or with God? So most, uh, many of them that we were at today were a physical court back in the day, not today. Um, some of them were divine, divine consequences. Today, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm, not, uh, I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner. It's not, it's not my role. 
right? But we can certainly, when we learn Torah, we certainly get a perspective of, you know, value system in Torah and, and a sense of what's, you know, what's very important and, and how, you know, how, how to um, see things. One other thing that I need to mention is that as it is in every area in life, no one does everything perfectly, right? So it's easy to, to pick on something that is not a challenge for you and say, how dare this person do that? It could be true in anything. Right? Somebody who eats kosher might say, why doesn't everyone eat kosher? Somebody who observes Shabbos, somebody who, and again, I don't want to get into the specifics of today's reading, but it's easy to judge someone else. And I don't know that the Torah wants us to judge anyone else. The Torah is telling us divine codes of behavior. That's for us individually. Are we meant to be the police people to start telling other people what to do? Right? To start walking into a McDonald's and say, hey, you, get out. Like, since when is that anyone, like, who gave anyone that job to, like, start telling people what to do and what not to do? So the Torah guides the individual as to, as to what divine, you know, the, a divine behavior and divine ideals. People have their own, everyone has their own journey. And certainly we should encourage and we should whatever. Yeah, I mentioned Wednesday night, you know, encourage someone to do a mitzvah. But if it ever gets ugly and judgy, like, how, why are you doing this, or how dare you do this, or you're so wrong for doing that? We've missed the picture. We, we're, we're, in a, we're in a negative place. If we're judging someone else, that's not it. You, you want to study with someone, you want to invite someone over for Shabbos, you want to eat kosher together, go out to a kosher restaurant, great. You want to bring them to a class and let them learn on their own and let them discover, fantastic. You want to judge and hate others, wrong religion. Wrong. This week's Torah portion. We had this before a few days ago. Don't hate your brother in your heart. There you go. You're feeling all judgy and, 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 and hateful and resentful? Okay. Can't. <laughs> so you're like, but this person, but look what they're doing. Torah never told you to look at what they're doing. Torah told you to, told you to look at what you're doing. And what are you doing? You're hating on your brother. That's a problem, right? So it's like, I'm just saying that because some of what we read in this reading, right, has been, and I'm not getting into details here. I'm just saying some of what we read in this reading has been taken by some as a campaign, right, against others. I don't, I don't know that Torah ever said wage a campaign. God says, here's what I'd like you to do. So if you're listening, strive for that. We've got plenty to work on. Everyone has plenty to work on. I should start looking at what everyone else is not doing and then call them out on it? Where, where does it say that in Torah? Where does it say that in Torah? That Don't worry about what you need to be doing. Start examining everyone else and look at what they're not doing perfectly, you know, in your, in your estimation perfectly, right? And then wage a campaign against them. I, I don't remember that verse. I don't remember. But for some reason, people, and it's even amongst, you know, even amongst Jews, some people take it as their mission to tell everybody else what to do. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, I, it's, it's less of a Jewish thing and a Torah thing and more of a personality thing, just in, in general. So we have to just be careful not to use Torah, because you know how a Torah scroll has, like, uh, has wooden handles, wooden, sorry, wooden poles, handles, and then the parchment wrapped around. We should never use the Torah 
to whack someone over the head with. That's, that's not why we have to. God didn't give us a Torah scroll to start bopping people over the head with and start, you know, knocking people down. That's not. Learn it. Be inspired by it. Live by it. Live a good life. That's inspire, inspire and encourage someone else. Learn with someone else. Invite someone else for a mitzvah opportunity. Great. To hit someone over the head with, I don't, I don't remember that verse. I, I'm pretty sure it's not there. Anyway, all right. Now let's get back into some Rashi's. Um, one, uh, he has cursed his father and mother. This phrase comes to include... Uh, in the prohibition and the penalty, again, don't do it, and here's the consequence, cursing one's father or mother even after their death. We have to be careful how we speak, not only to our parents when they're alive, but about our parents even after they are no longer with us. That's a very important thing about respecting those who have passed on. Um, his blood is upon himself. Rashi says this refers to the death penalty by stoning, and that is it. I mean, the rest of it is sources, but that's fine. Okay, so stoning. And again, this was only done, not even done, theoretically done, back in the day when they had a Sanhedrin high court in Jerusalem. It's going back a thousand plus years, close to 2,000 years ago. All right, um, man who commits adultery, the term man comes to exclude a minor from the death penalty. Okay, I guess theoretically, if a minor is with someone else's wife, somebody under bar mitzvah, Okay, if we can imagine the scenario, it's being excluded. It's adultery with another man's wife. The term man's wife comes to exclude the wife of a minor. From here we learn that a minor cannot hold the legal status of Jewish marriage. Okay, so that's, that's a practical lesson that we learn from here. Somebody under the age of bar and bat mitzvah cannot be legally married in, Jew, in Jewish law. Okay. Um... Interesting. Committing adultery with a wife is a fellow, excluding the wife of a non-Jew. Here we learn that the legal, status of the, the legal status of a Jewish marriage cannot be held by a non-Jew. Basically, it doesn't have this, it's not the same. A Jewish marriage is unique and, and, and therefore has Jewish law pertaining to Jewish marriage. Jewish law doesn't pertain to marriage that's not Jewish, if that makes sense. It makes sense to me. In other words, a marriage that is under the rubric of Jewish law has the parameters of Jewish law applied to it. If it's outside the parameters of Jewish law, then it's outside the parameters of Jewish law. Um, by the way, it doesn't mean that, it's, that adultery is, is okay in another context. It's still not okay. But what we're talking about in Jewish law is Jewish marriage. In other words, if the law is going to apply to it, then the marriage has to be one to which the same law applied to it as well. The adulterer and adulteress shall be put to death, Again, uh, not again, wherever a death penalty is mentioned with, in Torah without specification as to the mode of death, it exclusively refers to strangulation. That sounds horrible. I'm not going to lie, that sounds horrible. Strangulation. By the way, strangulation is not strangulation where they strangle. There were four types of death theoretically meted out by the Sanhedrin, by the high court. One was stoning. One was death by sword. One was hanging. And the other one was strangulation. But strangulation wasn't actually, they didn't choke someone. They, not, not that this necessarily is better, I'm just saying they poured hot lead down the person's throat. Now, you're going to say, holy cow, that sounds like the worst, and I don't disagree with you. 
Um, again, I will just go back to what I mentioned before. The Talmud says, if the court put that put to death one person in 70 years, I think it's one person in 70 years, they needed to look themselves in the mirror and say, how is it possible that we could have actually got to that point that we put someone to death? Because the system of proving guilt and administering the death penalty was extremely difficult, extremely high bar, if you will, to, to actually execute. But the point is, these are serious things, and they come theoretically with serious consequences if that can be proven and uh, if all the evidence is there. All right. Um, Second, oh, we're getting into the details of like how he was with a woman and her mother. Okay, I don't know that I want to get into details over there. Um, shall kill the animal. Yeah, any man who lies with the animal, the, the person is put to death, and you shall kill the animal. So Rashi asked the question, if the man sinned, in, one way, in what way did the animal sin? Why are you punishing the animal? What did the animal do? So man, I mean, not, not comfortable talking about it, but it is what it is. It's in Torah. So man is with an animal. So you, the man is put to death and the animal. Why the animal? What, the animal's the innocent victim here. However, since a failing came upon a person through the animal, therefore scripture says it must be stoned to death. In other words, on some level, the animal is somehow complicit and culpable on some level. It doesn't really explain. He just says that it is. Um, and we learn a lesson, how much more so is this relevant to a human being who knows how to distinguish between good and, good and evil, and yet brings evil, evil upon his fellow by causing him to commit a transgression. So if the animal through which a transgression came is, is liable, then certainly another human, certainly a human being who's liable, a human being who is the cause of someone else's um, error, certainly that human being is held liable for that error. Okay. Um, mm, 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 mm. So it says, a man who takes his sister is a disgraceful act. Okay? Disgraceful act. In the Hebrew, the word is chesed, which is weird. Because chesed means kind, yeah, kindness. So Rashi explains, the Aramaic term for disgrace is chas, uh, chisuda. I can't read the uh, Chisuda is the Aramaic word for disgrace. Chesed in Hebrew means kindness, but Chisuda in Aramaic means disgrace. Now, so Rashi, so Rashi explains why it uses that word. It's not a Hebrew word, it's an Aramaic word. And, okay. That's the simple meaning. The Midrashic interpretation, however, is listen to this. If you object to the prohibition against being with one, with your, if a person, um, objects and says, you're telling me I can't be with my sister, but Cain married his sister. Remember Cain? The f Cain, Adam's son? Who did he marry? Cain, there were two kids, Cain and Abel. And he killed his brother, Abel. So now it's Cain. Who did he marry? H how did humanity continue? What, what did he do? So Adam and Eve were together. And Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel, his brother, then what? So according to the Medrash, he had a sister. But how did he marry his sister? How? 
Mary, whatever. How is he with his sister? So a person says, if, if that worked for Cain, why can't it work for me? The answer is, the omnipresent in permitting this marriage performed an act of kindness, chesed, to build his world through him. As it is said, the world is built on kindness. In other words, God made an exception out of kindness and compassion for the, for the sustainability of humankind. God allowed Cain to marry his sister, but that was a one-time deal. Once there were more people, then things could branch out and... And, uh, and, that, and, and, and being with one sibling is now forbidden. Okay, so, but that explains chesed. It was a kindness to make that one-time exception to keep hum, the, human, the human race um, propagating. Do we know her name? It, it may be, I don't know her name. It may be somewhere. Okay. It may be somewhere. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the Medrash and Talmud and the Gemara. It, it might be somewhere there. There are other books that also have these names for, you know, have recording of the names of, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, All right. Let's talk about the man who's with a woman who has the flow. Um, Okay. There's Rashi there that I'm going to skip. Nakedness of your mother's sister. Okay. Um, childless. So the, the punishment, and this is obviously from Hashem. Remember, Ray, you asked before, is this the court or Hashem? So this one is from God. It says, any man who lies with his aunt, right, uh, they shall die childless. So Rashi says, without child, similar. Okay. If he has children already... A childless, what if he already had kids? Then he will bury them. He knows they will pass away during his lifetime. Terrible. This is obviously by the hands of Hashem. This is not human courts are not going and executing one's kids. And if he has no children when he commits the sin, then he will die childless. This is why scripture varied the expression in these two verses, they shall die without children, our verse, and they shall be and they shall be childless. So they shall die childless means that if he has children at the time of his sin, he will not have any when he dies because he will bury them in his lifetime. And they, shall, and they will be childless means that if he has no children at the time of the sin, he will remain all his life as he is now. So the punishment is either, so if there are kids, they will pass away before him, or if he has no kids, then he won't have kids subsequently. Okay. Um, let's move on to reading number seven. Uh, short reading, and this concludes the Torah portion. You shall not follow the practices of the nation that I am sending away from before you. That refers to the, the nation of the, the Canaanites, right, from Canaan. Don't, from Canaan. You shall not follow those practices of the nation that I am uh, evicting before you. For they committed all these sins, and I was disgusted with them. In other words, all these lists of things that I've been telling you not to do, they've been doing them, and I've been disgusted with them. So I said to you, you shall possess their land, and I shall give it to you to possess it. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has distinguished you from the peoples. Other nations, they do this all the time. Other nations, they don't have rules regarding lots of these things. But you, I gave you a unique code. I gave the Jewish people a unique code of conduct, a unique Torah, a unique guide, a unique manual for living. 
And I'm telling you that if you follow this manual, God says, that's why I'm moving them out and moving you in. But as we read a, moment, a few verses before this, at the end of the previous reading, if the Jewish people also um, uh, mimic that behavior, they're also going to get vomited out of the land. The land's going to spit them out. So it's, uh, this is a very clear warning from Hashem as to you know, making sure we're doing what we need to be doing. And you shall distinguish between clean animals and unclean ones. Ah, kosher. We're back to kosher. And between unclean birds and clean ones. Thus you shall not make yourself disgusting through unclean animals and birds and any creature which crawls on the earth that I have distinguished for you to render unclean. And you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy. As you be holy, because I am holy. And I have distinguished you from the peoples to be mine. Second time we find in a matter of three verses, distinguished, distinguished. That's the idea of, by the way, the word is hivdalti. Avdil, like havdalah. You know what havdalah means? We do it on separation, separation right? It's a distinction. After Shabbos, we, we have a ceremony that separates between Shabbos and the mundane week. Hashem says, I'm giving you a different code of conduct, a different diet, a different lifestyle, a different language, a different way of living, a different, giving you a unique way of living. Special. Torah is special. It's very special. And a man, and it's interesting how, why the Torah portion ends with this, with this verse, because we just, oh, we, you know, we kind of are summarizing it generally. Like, be holy, I'm holy, be distinguished. I want you to, I, I'm giving you these laws to be different. By the way, I, just to mention, being different is not bad. Right? That's the whole point of verse 26. Be, diff- be different. Embrace it. It's good. It's good to be. It's, you're unique. Assimilation. You know what assimilation is? Assimilation is I want to be like everyone else. I want to fit in. Assimilation is I want to be, I just want to be a, a normal, normal American. I don't want to only go to kosher restaurants. When I go to a baseball game, I have to bring in my, I'm just, now I'm speaking about myself. Took my kids to a baseball game a few weeks ago. And there I was, bringing in bags of kosher hot dogs wrapped in foil and kosher snacks. And like, okay, isn't it easier to buy something? I don't want, person might say, I don't want to be different. I want to be weird. I want to be like everyone else. I want to be the guy that when you go through security at the baseball game, they pull out the stuff and they ask you what it is and everyone's looking around at your hot dogs that you bring in. They're thinking, are you sugar? Why don't you just buy a hot dog? You bring in your own hot dog. Oh, I bet he's cheap. He doesn't want to sp- spend the seven bucks for hot dogs. You bring his own food. Right? I, I'm, I don't have a complex. I'm just saying. It's easier to say, I just want to fit in. I don't want to be, I don't want to stick out. That's the whole point of Judaism. That's literally the whole point. God says, I took you. You were a slave nation. You would have been forgotten to history. I took you out of Egypt. I know he didn't say that right here, but it's, I'm putting together from a few places in Torah. I took you out of Egypt. And I gave you a unique lifestyle. To be different. Isn't that awesome? By the way, on some level, everyone wants to be different. Everyone wants to stand out and be unique. But sometimes when it comes to Judaism, it's like, how do I hide this? Right? Like, how do I take off the, the kippah and pretend like a tourist? God says, be different. It's good. Stand out. Be proud. I think in 2022, more than ever, people are proud of who they are individually. 
everyone's got a parade and everyone's got a cause and everyone's got a, everyone's got, everyone's, you know, unique. Culturally proud. In Crown Heights, by the way, I mentioned parade. Crown Heights is the home to Chabad headquarters. It's a very large Chabad community, but it's also home to a, is it West Indies parade? West Indies? West Indies? There's a huge parade that takes over Eastern Parkway, right, right by Crown Heights. I think it's West Indies? Jamaica and Haiti? What? There's a massive parade, a culturally, a, a, a culture parade, pride, um, you know, pride of culture parade. And it's, it's huge. I think millions, maybe not millions, hundreds of thousands of people participate. It's a good thing. Okay, it can get a little, uh, a little hectic sometimes and very loud. But it's, we, live in a, we live in a world, we live in a time when more than ever, people are standing up and celebrating their, their distinctiveness, their uniqueness. So Jewishly, it's exactly what the Torah is, what Hashem is encouraging us to do. He says, I know I'm giving you a whole list that other people don't have. You're like, well, why can't I do all these things? They're doing it because you're different. I don't want to be different. Okay, you're different. Embrace it. It's cool to be different. You heard it from me. Rabbi Ari says, it's cool to be different. There you go. What else do you need? All right, back inside, we'll do the last verse, which gets highly specific. And a man or a woman who has the sorcery of Ov or Yedoni, which we talked about before already, in this week's Torah portion, shall surely be put to death. They shall pelt them with stones. Their blood is upon themselves. That means by the hands of the court, they are to be executed. All right, Rashi. You shall distinguish between clean animals and unclean ones. It is not necessary for Scripture to say that we must distinguish between a cow and a donkey since they are easily, identif- easily distinguishable and identifiable. That's easy. Rather, the Torah means that we, must, that we must distinguish between an animal that is clean, kosher, because of you, your slaughtering, and one that is unclean because of you, slaughtering. What does that mean? When the animal is slaughtered, both signs, organs, the pipes, must be severed. Namely, the esophagus, and the trachea, the food pipe and the windpipe, or at least the majority of each of those two pipes. Thus, our verse here is referring to the following. The distinction between an animal of which one organ was severed completely and the majority of the other organ was severed, thus rendering the animal animal kosher, an animal of which one organ was completely severed, whereas only half of the other organ was severed, thus rendering the animal non-kosher. And what is the difference between its majority and half of it, which would mean that would mean the difference between kosher and non-kosher, a hair breath, a hair. And consequently, Scripture commands us to make a careful distinction. When the Torah says here, when God says, distinguish between kosher and non-kosher, it doesn't mean between a cow and a pig. It means between the kosher cow, or the cow that was shechted properly, more than 50% of the pipe, versus exactly 50% of the pipe, which is not kosher. What's the difference between 50 and 50.1? And that's the difference between kosher and non-kosher. <coughs> a person says, it's kosher enough. It's kosher, it's fine. Is it? Not according to God. <laughs> not, according to the, not according to Torah. <coughs> the 
That's the distinction. A hair, the, 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 you know, by a hair, if you will. The width of a hair. I have distinguished you from the peoples to be mine. If you are separated from them through observance of Torah, you will be mine. In other words, if you act different, then you will be different. But if not, you'll belong to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and his ilk. <coughs> Rabbi Eliezer ben says, How do we know that a person should not say, I find pork disgusting? Or, ugh, it's impossible for me to wear a mixture of wool and linen. But rather, one should say, I indeed wish to. I would love to eat treif, pork. I would love to wear wool and linen. But what can I do? My Father in Heaven has imposed these decrees upon me. Because Scripture says here, and I've distinguished you from, my, from the peoples to be mine, your very distinction from the other peoples must be for my name, for God's sake. Separating yourself from transgression, accepting upon yourself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, should a person say, I don't want to eat non-kosher? Or should a person say, I would love to, but Hashem said not to. It's what I said earlier today. On one level, it's, it's, it's better to say, I would love to, but Hashem told me not to, because then we're following Hashem. Otherwise, we're following ourselves. Because if we don't want to eat it, then we didn't need God. We just follow our own heart. But if we say, I would love to, but Hashem said no, now we're connected with Hashem. Now there's a bond. Hashem said, and we're following orders. And it's just a perspective. Just a perspective on, uh, on life. All right, we're almost toward the end. Last verse, last Rashi. Ov and Yudoni, don't do that. Right, that's the, that's the, the um, summoning spirits under the armpit or through the bone in the mouth. Here, regarding those who practice the sorcery of over Yudoni, Scripture states death, while above, Scripture states excision, which is the soul getting cut off. Which one is it? Does the court mete out the penalty or is it from the hands of heaven? So Rashi answers, with witnesses and warning not to commit the sin. If there's witnesses and warning, then they incur death by stoning. Then the court adjudicates and executes, again, theoretically. But if the perpetrator transgresses willfully but without warning, they incur excision. And if they transgress unintentionally, like, I didn't know that this was wrong. I never learned that everyone was doing it. And I did it also, the summoning spirits. I never learned it was wrong, so it's unintentional. So then they must bring a sin offering. So three levels. So if a person does it intentionally with witnesses and warning, they're liable for death. If they do it intentionally, but they weren't warned and there are no witnesses, then God takes over from there. If a person did it unintentionally, they didn't know it was, they didn't know it was, it was even a problem, then it's a standard sin offering. And this general principle regarding the three levels of death excision, that's the soul excision, or sin offering, applies to all who are subject to death penalty about whom excision is also stated. In other words, there are many such mitzvot or prohibitions that depending on how the person did it, they could be liable for any one of these three levels of consequence. All right, so that takes us to the end of the Torah portion. I would say, we're not going to do Haftorah, I don't think we have time. I would say like this. If I had to, we had, there's a lot of details, 51 mitzvot, but if I had to kind of consolidate or, you know, summarize what we did this week. I think those last few verses of this reading that I mentioned and spoke about before, to me, that's what resonates. The idea that God is giving us a unique code of conduct. God is saying, other nations, they did this stuff all the time. Other nations, other people, they never cared. They didn't blink twice. 
about this stuff. Other nations, they would have no problem doing all this activity. But you, you're, at, you're, you're held, not held, you should live to a different standard. You want to call it a higher standard, perhaps. Live by this divine standard. God says, I want you to live in this way. And when we do that, and when we say to ourselves, like this last Rashi, or like the uh, second to last Rashi, we say to ourselves, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing what everyone else does. But you know what? God gave me this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God wants. Then we are holy. Because holy means being distinct. Holiness means separation. Havdalah. Kodesh, holiness, and Havdalah, separation, are in, as we saw today, synonymous. To be holy is to be distinct, is to be different, is to be a little bit separate. Everyone is doing this, I'm doing that. Not in all cases does it make, does it make one holy. If everyone's doing the right thing and a person says, I'm going to be different, I'm going to rob a bank, that doesn't make you holy. Not every time you act different does it make it holy. But when you're acting different in, in, um, in conjunction or in concert with God's will, that makes you holy. The holiness is about distinction. Distinction. Never be embarrassed to be proudly Jewish. Never be embarrassed. Never be ashamed to live with your ideals. Never be too ashamed, too um, self-conscious to stand up proudly for who you are. To me... That's the message of this Hustorah portion. Be different. Embrace it. Live by it. Be holy. God says, I'm also different. Right? God's different. God's the creator. We're all a creation. God's, God says, I know what it means to be unique. I'm different. You also be different. Then you'll be holy just like me. All right. Thanks for joining me this week. I think everyone was here the whole week. Everyone, thanks for joining. Or most of the week, at least. Uh, for Daily Power Parsha. It's been a wonderful journey once again and looking forward to looking forward to studying once again next week, Monday. Same bad time, same bad channel. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. Over yeah. What, um, the, it's Rosh Hodesh, right? The Rosh Hodesh oh, yeah, yeah, good. Excellent. Yeah, the schedule for next week, very important. So Sunday morning, I'll go through the whole week. Sunday morning, we have Kabbalah and Kabbalah and Coffee at 9.30. Monday noon and Tuesday, Wednesday. Th- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, not Thursday, which I'll explain why. We have DPP. We're off Thursday because Tuesday night and Thursday, we have the brand new JLI course called Beyond Right. If you're not, uh, if you're not yet signed up, you definitely want to get in on that. It's an amazing, an amazing course. So join us for that beyond right. It's all about Jewish civil law and the values that drive it. So that's coming up Tuesday night, March, uh, sorry, May 10th and May, uh, Thursday, May 12th at noon. And Monday night, you're right, Monday night, the 9th is Rosh Chodesh Society at 7.30 p.m. So again, we have Sunday morning Kabbalah, Monday night Rosh Chodesh Society, Tuesday night JLI, Wednesday night Torah Studies, and throughout the, throughout the week, and Thursday afternoon, JLI, and throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, DPP. Now, if that didn't confuse you yet, everyone, right, then uh, just, uh, I'm kidding, then, I, I, then I, I, can, I can do more. But 
that's, that's it for next week. And if you have any questions about the schedule, feel free to reach out, give a call. And um, together we'll be reminded, because I also sometimes are wondering, like... What about the Earth one? That's the following week. That's the following oh. Monday night. So that's the 16th. So the 9th, the coming Monday is Rosh Chodesh. A week after that will be the Earth, uh, Jewish wisdom till the Earth. All right. Good Shabbos, everyone. Sarah, good Shabbos. Enjoy. Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos. The sunshine state should shine the sun and everything should be beautiful. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Ray, have a good Shabbos to good health. And Olia, so happy to hear about the presentation, about everything. Now you can go into Shabbos. Truly peaceful and restful without the the stress on your brain. That's it. No stress. For sure. All right. Good Shabbos, everyone. We'll see you soon. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Thank you, Rabbi. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask, is there a service at 7.15 tonight? Tonight, well, tonight there's Mincha at 7.15 and Mm -hmm. Kabbalah Shabbat, the the evening service at 7.30. I'm not sure if we're going to have a minion or if it's going to be, last week it was, I think we had like seven or eight, so we didn't have a minion. Uh, but we sang and we, we prayed. Tonight, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we'll get there or not. But either way, we'll be there. Okay. All right. Good Shabbos. We'll see you all soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.